Hey there! Welcome to Well Dukes. This podcast is brought to you by UREC Health Promotion. Tune in every other Wednesday for conversations that we hope challenge what you know, think, or do in regard to your own health and wellness and helps you be Well Dukes. Hello, Dukes, and welcome back to the Well Dukes podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Shutt, and today we have a very special guest that is not new to the podcast, but we're happy to have her back. Um, Jordan, would you like to introduce yourself for everybody? Yes. Hello, Lauren. Thanks for having me on here. I'm Jordan McCann. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the Assistant Director for Sexual and Relationship Health here at UREC. Wonderful. So today we are talking about the five circles of sexuality. So I'd just love to get a little bit of a intro from you and then we'll dive right in. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, Lauren, you and I, we talked about this, thought this would be kind of a great way to talk about just comprehensive sexuality on this podcast. And so this one model, the five circles is it's certainly not the only, but it's a great way to really start learning about the different components of sexuality, um, oftentimes more than what someone might get from their kind of standard sex ed class in middle school, high school. Uh, this is a way to kind of, if listeners can really just to visualize this, it's essentially like a Venn diagram of five different components uh, these are broad components and we'll break each one down a little bit more, but it's a great way to kind of conceptualize how they also are their own components of it, but they also play a role in each other. So um, everyone still has all five of these components, but for some people, one one circle might be uh, you know prioritized more or be more valuable to someone. It's not to say that like, we don't all experience and some people only can kind of pick and choose. We all have them. They all interconnect, but I think it's a great way to, for people to understand that sexuality is more than just whether or not someone is sexually active or not, um, or sexuality is more than just who we like to have sex with. And it's more than just our anatomy, you know, right. And our, our actual reproductive cycle. Um, so the circles of sexuality model, it was developed in 1981 by a social worker named Dr. Dennis Daly. And it, like I would say, it just, it's helpful for someone to understand their sexual self-concept, which is another term that we use when talking about sexuality and someone's sexual self-concept. Um, other terms used are also someone's sexual citizenship. It's, it's a really way for someone to think about their own values in regard to sex and what they want sex to be in their life. Um, it, it offers a way for them to decide what's right for them, how they want to express their sex and sexuality to other people, how they want to engage in it, how they prioritize it in their health. Um, so yeah, looking forward to breaking down each circle with you. At number one, we have sensuality. So if we want to go ahead and get started with number one. Yeah. Um, and I'll also say, like, I know we're going to go in order, but like I was saying, like, there's, it's not like, all right, you have to achieve sensuality <laughs> and have this body awareness or anything. These are just the five. Um, so yeah, our sensuality, this is sensuality and body awareness, a component of 
our sexuality. It includes things like our body image, how we experience pleasure, skin hunger, attraction. Um, It's the awareness and acceptance and enjoyment of our own body and also the bodies of others. If someone is having sex with someone else, it's there's one, there's another person there or more, but right. Like the act of sex, if you are sexually active or engaging in sexual behaviors with someone, it's also being aware of that other person, their body, accepting their body and how we mutually and respectfully enjoy each other's bodies together. Um, so sensuality, it's, you think about it, it's how we use our senses, as well, right? So it's using our senses to help us feel good about our bodies and what they can do to others. So it does include pleasure and touch, how we touch our bodies, certain places of the body that feel better than others. So those are called erogenous zones. Um, it allows us to enjoy that pleasure that our bodies have and can give us. One, we always like to share the fun fact is people who have a clitoris, the clitoris's sole purpose is to experience pleasure. It plays a huge part in this. Um, The clitoris does not serve any purpose in reproductive function. So it's not necessary in creating life. It's not a part of the urinary system. It's its sole purpose is pleasure. It's a bundle of nerves. Um, The head of a penis also is a bundle of nerves. It is a part also. So that part is needed uh, just the way the anatomy is for people with penises, but for the urinary system and reproductive system as well. But um, that's also a highly sensitive area full of pleasures that can feel good when touched in the right way. And so also when we use our senses, it's thinking about how we have fantasies. People have different fantasies and, and fantasies are okay. They can vary. There's a wide variety of um, sexual fantasies that people enjoy, and that could be a whole other podcast on topic on its own. Um, But yeah, so in our body image too, how we feel about our bodies and how that influences how we share with it. Some people might, you know, for those who have a very healthy and positive body image and enjoy sharing that, right, they might use that to express their sex in a different way. But some people who may not have, you know, Feeling self-conscious, it is. It happens. Um, having some body image concerns that also influences the way that someone might choose to share their body or parts of their body with someone else. Um, so yeah, how we experience touch again—that skin hunger and attraction. Um, skin hunger meaning not like literal zombie eating <laughs> of eating skin or anything, but. Issue humans, uh, we're designed to have touch, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be with other humans, but even just maybe for some people out there who have dogs or cats or pets, you know, like we do have this kind of innate desire to have physical touch uh, with our bodies. And that's because of our skin and our nerve endings. And so just really also kind of feeling that comfort from other people, again, or pets or anything too, but our sensuality and body awareness again, to to put it simply, I guess it's to say that it's having a physical body and all of the sensations and capabilities of that physical body and what it brings to someone's sexual health. As we go on to number two, we're looking at sexual intimacy. And again, they all kind of play a role together. They're not in order, but number two. Yeah. And I really, I'm like, some of this might, yeah, might sound repetitive, because they do interlap 
overlap and interlock so much. So the circle of intimacy, this is always the a, a, a fun one. Um, fun in the sense that when I talk to students and do programs on the five circles, this often is one of the top circles that students say they wish they knew more about. Or it's the one that they say, you know, also like this, this is what's left out, right? So intimacy, it's the, it's the emotional part of sex. It's the emotional closeness of um, aspect of someone's sexual health. It's the relationship aspect of sexual health. So this includes things like caring for one another, liking or loving, you know, kind of depending on how are we defining the relationship? I don't know, DTR is still the term or not, but like, you know, all the different terms, situationships, right? Or are we moving from a situationship to a relationship? What does that mean? Um, it's, you know, being vulnerable with someone and, and having that awareness that sex definitely can have some vulnerability. For some people, that vulnerability comes from, again, the physical body part, And for others, the vulnerability might come from the emotional part, right? Admitting to someone that I really like you, being vulnerable, telling someone you like them and and knowing that rejection could be a possibility that is, that can be scary and it holds people back a lot. Um, But yeah, it's, it's recognizing that feelings also happen. They can, you know, not all the time in every single sexual relationship, some people, have sex because it feels good and they they don't really have that emotional intimacy and that's okay. And then for some people, that emotional intimacy is very, very important and necessary in order to have sex or have a sexual relationship with someone. Um, so yeah, to, to establish intimacy with someone, you need to take risks. Again, with that emotional risk-taking, being vulnerable, communicating well, it also involves vulnerability to share those emotions and establishing trust. You're trusting someone with your body. You're trusting them not to harm you physically, to harm your emotions, to take advantage of you in some way. There's also that level of trust there too. So when we're looking at number three, which is our sexual identity, I feel like that that level of comfort that we see in um, intimacy really plays a big role in this. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the different components of sexual identity within these circles. Yeah. So this is one um, some people might feel more familiar with too. Uh, So sexual identity and at the same time could be the area where people have a lot of confusion. Again, because again, depending on how they learned about sex or how they are currently learning about sex, we come from different backgrounds. So our sexual identity, definitely a part of our overall comprehensive kind of sexual self-concept, is the way a person identifies themselves as a sexual being. It contains the um, four components that we'll talk about. So someone's biological sex, their gender identity and gender expression. So gender identity, gender expression. Um, It also talks about gender roles, which (laughs) play a part in our gender expression. And and then also their sexual orientation. So essentially sexual identity, it's who you are and how you label yourself as a sexual being. It's how you see yourself as a gendered being or not gendered. Someone can, again, there's non-binary individuals. 
It's the societal norms that tell us what it is to be masculine or feminine or what it is to be a man or a woman. Those play a role in how we choose to have sex and express ourselves. It's also who we're attracted to. Who we're attracted to, that's our sexual orientation. Um, I think the important thing to note here is that someone's biological sex, so we use the term assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth, that's essentially the the genetics, the uh, you know the sex chromosomes that someone has, the actual genitalia a baby is born with. Currently, that's how we kind of our society. We when the baby's born, they look at the genitals and they say it's a boy or it's a girl based on what they see. Um, and so that is the sex of someone. But sex and gender are not the same. So gender being more of those terms, masculine and feminine, or man, woman. So they can be different. So someone who is born or assigned female at birth, as they start to grow and get older and develop, start learning more about themselves, realizing, you know, these other components of their sexuality, they may choose to, or they may feel and choose to express themselves and identify continuing as still female, or they could identify as male, or they could identify as non-binary. It's a spectrum. Um, that term binary meaning, you know, coming from like we used to have very one or the other kind of viewing, but we are now thankfully, you know, just seeing so much more openness and inclusivity of people who do not kind of fit or fall into one end or the other, that spectrum that people can kind of go anywhere in between identifying one way, um, certain days and the other, and that that's, respected. And so I think it's really great that we're getting to, we're, we're, we're getting there in our side. I won't say we're there yet, but, um, you know, I'm really happy to see that more and more people are feeling accepted and safe, you know, to do so. And at the same time, though, still a lot more work to do (laughs) again, whole other episode of a podcast though. But yeah, so gender identity and gender expression. So how someone, their gender identity is how they identify. I, I will share, I personally, again, using pronouns, she, her, I identify as a woman. I was assigned female at birth and I identify as a woman. So we call that cisgender. But if someone were to say I was assigned female at birth and I identify as a male, then that would be a transgender person. Um, and so gender identity and also gender expression also do not always have to be the same. So gender expression is how we choose to express to others kind of publicly. So for some people though, like I was saying, they might not feel safe expressing themselves the same way they identify. They may live in a place or be around people who are not accepting of them and it could be dangerous for them. For their physical safety, it may not be safe for them to express themselves the way that they identify. So that's something to keep in mind um, for listeners is just also always being aware that just because what you see, you can't just immediately make um, make an assumption of someone's gender identity and their sex. And that comes from our gender roles that our society has created. And then someone's sexual orientation, like that's who, uh, who we go to bed with, kind of as a way to say it. Uh, one great phrase that I heard is like, your gender is what you wear to bed. And then your sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. So um, sexual orientation 
also including romantic orientation, they also don't have to be the same. Someone can be sexually attracted to one type of person and one uh, sexual identity, and they could be romantically attracted to a different. But our sexual orientation, that's, you know, the terms that we hear, heterosexual, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual. It's who we are attracted to and who we want to have sex with, if wanting to. Into number four now, which is something we kind of started to touch on with number three, but reproduction and sexual health. Yeah, this is the traditional sex ed part of sexuality. So this one is typically the one people feel most comfortable with or most familiar with. Um, It's the physical facts of the body. So the components of reproduction and anatomy, the sexual response cycle, how the reproductive system works. Uh, It also includes things like sexual dysfunction and understanding that that can be a part of it too. Um, It's the actual act of intercourse um, and other sexual behavior. So again, just like that, the physical part of sex and different types of sex. Um, It's the also challenges that can happen to someone with sex. So such as unplanned pregnancies and STIs. So it's, it's knowing about how to take care of our body in that physical health sense. And also understanding that the physical changes occur throughout our whole life too, that we are sexual beings from womb to tomb is my favorite saying. So like there are going to be from, as we continue to grow and get older and our bodies changes still the way sex happens changes as well. The way we view and have sex when we're teenagers and young adults is not going to be the same to how our body is functioning and having sex when we're in our 50s, 60s, and 70s. And just, I think, also creating more awareness that like, just because someone gets older doesn't mean that they stop being sexual. It's like, no, they still have those body parts. They still have, you know, attraction and desires. It just looks different. Absolutely. So as we move into number five, we are looking at sexualization and all the different aspects of that. Yeah, the so sexualization, um, essentially, it's how you use your sexualness, <laughs> to say, um, or how, how you use your body. And I say, this can be in positive, um, or someone can experience sexualization in positive ways and beneficial ways, but also in negative ways. Um, so sexualization is the ways that a human uses the elements of their sexuality to manipulate, control, or influence other people. Like I said, that may sound negative, but it, it can be positive. So sexualization includes things like flirting and seduction, right? It's how we let people know that we're into them. There's nothing, flirting doesn't, isn't bad. Flirting can definitely be good, because we need something, we need that, like, <laughs> something. Are we, yeah, are we all the same? We can't just walk up to someone. I, well, let me say, I think maybe some people use this tactic, but, you know, most people don't just walk up to someone like, you, me, let's go. Like, you're kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's these interactions with other people, but it's also how we receive messaging about sex, too, from media and advertising so other things like how we learn about sex from pornography and tv shows and movies like it's what we see so if we we think about going back to um kind of talking about the components like flirting and seduction how how sexualization can be positive it's positive power exchanges 
So it's giving and receiving pleasure, right? Again, it, that's a power exchange and like that can still feel good. It can still feel good to know that you're giving pleasure, but also feel good that you are wanting your partner to give you pleasure. It's the power exchanges that occur between consenting partners, right? So that there is still this mutual cons- and consensual agreement that we're having this sexual uh, experience together. So consent is also included in this. It's very important. Consent kind of also, again, plays into all those other ones. But yeah, when we said like seducing, it's that can also be the fun part of it, right? And going back to some of the other circles of the intimacy and that sensuality and body awareness, that absolutely plays a role too in the flirting and seduction. It's letting you, you know, showing people that you, you're wanting to have this experience with them and communicating what it is that you'd like. Now- on the other hand, too, sometimes, unfortunately, it can be not a good experience. And the the negative sex and the bad sex, it happens sometimes. So sexualization can also include the negative power exchanges when um, one person can't or does not give consent, yet sexual activity still occurs. Um And so when things aren't consensual, that may mean that there's been manipulation and coercion as well. Um, It could include things like sexual harassment in the workplace from coworkers, from friends, from strangers, sexual harassment happens. Uh, It's sexual assault. It's sometimes the, um, the sexual violence that can occur too. And any other abusive sexual behavior, like stalking and online online harm as well. Um, so we, we kind of say it's sexualization does include, like we have to also talk about the, the kind of negative and the shadow side of sex too. It's when we talk about comprehensive sex and positive sex um, and, or being sex positive, we can't just also completely ignore and act like bad things ha- don't happen. But the goal of why we do talk about the five circles is right. It's just ultimately going back to having people thinking about all of the things that influence sex in their life and what they want to be, what it, they want it to be in their life. And through kind of through that more just open-mindedness, that evaluation of their values Right. If they're really understanding that, like, yeah, if I'm going to have sex, I want it to be good sex. I feel confident most people are also going to say I would want my partner to also feel good. <laughs> so, like, they just thinking of it that way, that's how we're going to help reduce um, and prevent the things like sexual violence from happening. I also say with sexualization, it's you're a sexual person first, but and how, how you share it with others is second. I think that's important to note too. It's just everyone like we are all sexual beings in some capacity, even if someone is asexual, these five circles we've talked about, there's still a component of everyone. So that's the first part, but then it's how you choose to share it and share your sexual body and and sexual experiences that comes second. Um, And so that definitely needs to be remembered with sexualization that like always how you everyone should have the right to choose how they share with other people. And that's what the sexualization is. Well, closing out, I'd love to hear if one, you have any closing thoughts on this and two, 
we'd love to hear a little bit about some of the resources that we have both here at UREC and on campus to help people get maybe a better understanding of this if they're curious. Yeah. So again, just, I think it's probably been pretty clear, like how these circles all interlap and we gave just a very brief (laughs) summary of each one. Um, but just some other examples too, like just to show truly how they all kind of weave in together is, um, is also understanding that going back to that sexualization piece, if someone has ever experienced any sort of sexual harm or emotional abuse, it might be harder for them to build intimacy. Right. And so that also might be something for someone to evaluate of like, man, one of these things, like, why do I have struggle with that? And it's like, Oh, cause it might've come from another experience or someone who sexual identity is being transgender, it may be harder for them to find good sex positive information and education and healthcare for their body. So they all, they can all play together. Um, And so I think if someone is curious to learn more about sexuality and sexual health, they have a few options here at JMU. So we have, um, sexual health coaching here at UREC. It's part of our wellness coaching program. And that is a confidential, no cost service to students that meet with me. And we explore a lot of things. It's a place to answer questions someone might have um, or to talk about any concerns they're having. So it kind of operates like I'm happy to meet with students just truly to answer questions. Uh, But also sometimes it's a little more than that. It's how do I talk to my partner about XYZ, or I've noticed when I have sex, this happens. You know, is this why am I experiencing this? Right. So that again is a cost, is that no cost to students? It happens here at UREC. Um, we'll put the link to wellness coaching in our, our podcast kind of show notes description. Um, if anyone is interested in also kind of more of that, like again, the sexual health and reproductive part, we have our safer sex stations throughout campus. We also have uh, STI testing with the health center right now, we're currently being able to offer some STI testing for free. So it's important. Your sexual health matters. Um, so take advantage of that free resource. And then we also have other things. If someone has experienced harm, especially sexual harm, we have victim advocacy services available for that. And that's again, a, a free and confidential service for students. Someone's looking to find people to help relate more to their sexual identity. We have SOGI, which is our sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression. That one whole circle, we have a whole kind of department dedicated to. So there are a lot of resources available for students. And I think if anyone is just still looking like, where do I even start? Send us an email. Um, you know, My email will be in here too, and we'll be happy to get you connected. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been a great conversation and we'll be glad to hear from everybody about this and definitely reach out. We'll have all of our information in the podcast description and just closing out. I want to remind everybody to follow UREC on social media to stay up to date on all things Well Dukes and all things UREC. And as always, be well, Dukes. 